Good morning. I'm Ann Hostetler. I'm chair of the English department, and it is my pleasure to welcome today's speaker, Jeff Gundy. Uh, Jeff is the English department's 44th S.A. Yoder lecturer, and that's an endowment made possible by the family and friends of S.A. Yoder, who is an English professor and a world traveler. He taught at Goshen College between 1930 and 1970. Think about that, it's a long time. Um, in between, he spent about 10 years in Egypt, Vietnam, Taiwan, and so forth. So we're very grateful to his family and friends who have made it possible for us to bring people to Goshen College like Jeff. Jeff is a professor at Bluffton University, and he's also a Goshen College alumni. Some of you may have read a little um, interview with him last week in the record. He's also the author of 10 books, six volumes of poetry and four works of nonfiction, and he has won numerous awards for his work. Last night at his lecture, he explored the idea of creative doubt and the role that it can play both in art and in faith. Today, he will be reading from his poems and telling us some stories about how they came to be. Now, if you get a visit from Jeff, you're likely to find in the next year or two that there is some kind of poem that shows up in one of his books about the visit. For instance, he has a poem about the County Seat Cafe and um, other places here. His most recent books um, are a book of essays, Songs from an Empty Cage, Poetry, Mystery, Anabaptism, and Peace. So if you're more oriented to theology and questions of philosophy, this is a very friendly, interesting uh, book um, for you. And um, his 2014 book of poetry, Somewhere Near Defiance, which is, has many poems in it as playful as that title. So uh, without further ado, I am going to welcome Jeff to the stage or the podium just after reminding you to be courteous and respectful towards each other and our speakers, which includes not using screens or engaging in other distracting behaviors like texting and all that stuff like that. So thank you for helping create a positive environment for our community gatherings, and please join me in welcoming Jeff Gundy. Well, good morning, and I want to also thank, thank Ann for the, for the wonderful introduction and for uh, helping to get me here, and thank the Yoder family for, for their support of this wonderful endowment. I'm really uh, kind of awestruck to be in the company of the, the other names who have been here for that Yoder lecture. Um, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, and all of that. Uh, it's great to be back in Goshen. I have lots of memories of this place and my years here as a student. I think S.A. Yoder must have retired. If he retired in 1970, uh, the fall of that year was when I started here, which doesn't seem that long ago to me, although to you all it seems like ancient history, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I want to begin with a poem uh, which has some things to do. M much of the poem is about my college experience uh, in a sort of odd way. It's called Autobiography with Blonde on Blonde, and that's the classic album by Bob Dylan, which all of you terminally hip Goshen students, I'm sure, know almost by heart, right? Yeah. 
The ragman drew circles on everything, but St. John dragged his feet through them all, saying, in the beginning was the word, until time shuddered like a bus with bad breaks, and my dad rubbed his face and sat down at the kitchen table, his farmer tan glowing. It had been a windy day, and the brutal stench of Hillman's hogs wafted through the screens. I whacked Kathy, my sister, on the back of the head just to hear her howl. It worked. Then they drove me off to college where I learned that the not yet has already happened if you squint at it just right. I am, I said, said Neil Diamond, and we had to agree with that. Then the president explained that those unwilling to kill for peace might once have been good people, but godless communist drugs had made them into trolls and orcs. We knew he was an idiot. We were elves and hobbits and decided to set off for Mordor to destroy the ring right after dinner. But somebody put on blonde on blonde again, and it was just like the night to play tricks, and we could hardly root out the fascist pigs while Louise and her lover were so entwined. We walked down beside the dam instead, tried to lose ourselves in the scant woods. I never got to Memphis or to Mobile. The hard rain was already falling, but the sun still shone like glory some of those afternoons, with classes over and the long night ahead and water roaring down the spillway like the great I am. I still get sentimental when I think of all those places, but I'm going to try to, try to hold that in so I can, uh, I can actually talk with you. Uh, so, yeah, we didn't have cell phones or the Internet or uh, hip-hop music or any, any of a number of things that are regarded as necessities uh, these days. Uh, we had record players, you know, uh, radio. It was the golden age of rock and roll. Of course, it was also the age of the Vietnam War. Uh, the cafeteria line only had one line through it, and you sort of either took what they gave you or uh, went hungry. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it was a somewhat different time. I have memories of uh, sitting where you all are sitting now, probably just feeling just about as sullen as I'm sure some of you are feeling about being required to be here on a day like this when you could be, you know, still in bed or any of a number of other things. Um, Jay Lawrence Burkholder, who was the president much of the time I was here, was uh, installed uh, in 1971, which was my sophomore year. And... Uh, there he is. Uh, two pictures of him. Uh, this is kind of in his later years on the left. And the other one uh, is during his installation, uh, they took him off and, and dunked him in the fountain, I believe. And uh, so I think this is just before or after that happened. Anyway, uh, JLB, as we, as we knew him, was a, uh, a, an impressive figure in any number of ways. And I, but I, what I remember, uh, I want to talk about for a moment, is him speaking uh, what must have been right after he was he was installed uh, during one of the sessions like this and saying that change must come with the scalpel not the axe by which he meant that we shouldn't just trash everything you know uh, in the process of uh, making those changes that we all thought back then were right around the corner now, now, I admired that metaphor, I had to admit, and I, I remember it all these years later, which is pretty impressive, but I, but I somehow felt uh, obscurely that, that, you know, that I might not 
be getting the whole story. And of course, I was getting other stories from other sources, the times they were a-changing. Yeah, this is about the time that John Howard Yoder's um, Jesus, the politics of Jesus came out. Thanks, Anne. Anne was just going to remind me. Uh, and I remember reading that book and thinking, well, I knew this already. I learned this from Bob Dylan and Peter, Paul, and Mary. And, you know, I learned that Jesus was political from other sources. Yeah, okay. That's, uh, all right, set that aside. Yeah. Uh, so, but by then, you know, even in 1971 and, the, and those years I was in college, it, it seemed pretty clear that, that, that the big hopes of the 60s, that we were going to just transform society and fix everything, uh, were, were doomed to failure. And uh, yeah, 40 years later, uh, my generation uh, certainly did not succeed at those big goals. Um, although, here's my optimistic take on it. If you squint at it just right, uh, at least, you know, we didn't destroy the world entirely. We didn't have a nuclear war. We haven't completely ruined the earth yet. Uh, people of color and LGBTQ folk are somewhat less energetically persecuted than they used to be. Uh, so I guess you could call those things progress. I don't know. Or at least the lack of total dismal failure. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I want to read you a poem that I wrote uh, for, for uh, JLB uh, some years ago, but trying to, trying to just, he was such an enigmatic figure uh, and, and so interesting. I took a philosophy class with him, which was fascinating. Um, yeah, the black father. Not my real father, still known as Whitey for his hair, for his open grin, for his way of rubbing his head between his work-thin hands when tired or embarrassed. But the father with secrets, the black-haired father, the big smart father who learned to fly, who journeyed west and came home sad and triumphant and filled with mysteries. The black father agreed to be the chosen one, and he learned to speak in two voices. One used the old words, few and strong, the Bible, the vision, the stern and narrow way. The other voice he kept in his dark suit, in an inside pocket, held between chest and arm, too tight to slip out. I guessed, we guessed at what wild secrets that voice knew. We argued and proposed, but the suit stayed on, the arm stayed down. The first voice kept talking. It talked well. It had stories dramatic and perplexing. The last refugees pushed off the plane, the engines roaring to lift the groaning exiles above the trees, the father trembling at the stick, and we hushed and trembled and pondered. What did that mean? while the father slipped away to answer one more hard, narrow letter about what some young fool said on a weary Tuesday, what some young body did Saturday night on the gym floor. They were having, the, the, the dance controversy was in its full, full height at those, in those days. Yeah? I think we finally got over the dance controversy, didn't we? Are you, are you still, are you, do you have dances now? Can you have dances now? Okay. See, more signs of progress, right? Yeah, yeah. The black father didn't have it easy. He gave a lot up. He learned to choose his moments and his fights and kept whole reams of careful argument in his secret drawer for centuries, well, years anyway. In my last year, the black father had the class over, and I stood near him and tried to say that he had taught me something. I was 20 and from the country, and I faltered, and for a second he seemed ready to speak, but then just looked down and turned away. It was not his fault. I was shy and young, bold only at the wrong moments, and maybe he was shy too. But oh, black father, 
I want to know what it was you almost said, what that inside pocket held, why you turned away. So as, as some people here know, uh, after he retired from Goshen's presidency, uh, Burkholder finally published his long-withheld dissertation, which is called The so Problem of Social Responsibility from the Perspective of the Mennonite Church. And, and in that book, he, he questioned uh, pure pacifism and, and are largely out of his experience in China as a, as a pilot flying refugees around and so forth. Uh, he, he talked about the, the, just the difficulties of moral ambiguity and how sometimes you might just have to compromise. And of course, you know, that would have been politically problematic to say while he was the president of Goshen. So there's all this stuff, all this stuff going on. Also in that period, Dick Gregory, comedian, who's comedian and social activist, who's still uh, alive and kicking, although advanced in years, uh, came came to speak in Goshen. This this was in the Union, in the uh, in the in the gym, and I, I remember him saying this over and over: "You got a big job, you ain't got much time." Yeah, and he wasn't entirely clear on what our big job was, but it was plain that it was urgent, and it seemed plain to me that we all were. Uh, failing at it. I don't know. Yeah, I could say that still again, you know, it's true still, isn't it? You know, um, what, what do we do exactly? Well, to circle back to my, to my title, I think, I think we all ought to be somewhere near defiance, uh, which is not the same as being all the way into it. Uh, the, the saying goes, yeah, it's something that I heard a long time ago, question authority. Yeah, and I and and I and I like that, and I hope you all are practicing that. Now, it doesn't mean refuse all authority, right? As if that were even possible. It doesn't just mean resist blindly. I and mean, that that path, I think, leads to uh, you know this old song is an old uh, rock and roll song that goes, "I fought the law and the law won." Uh, yeah, I mean that you know that doesn't take you very far, I don't think. Um, but here's here's another. Uh, quote that I like a lot from James Baldwin, um, writer, who said, the purpose of art is to lay bare the questions which have been concealed by the answers. Yeah. All right, with these things as, you know, I, I'm not going to argue or cajole or whatever too much more. I'm sure that's, that's probably about enough of that. But I'll, I'll, I'll read some poems uh, for you. It would probably be even better if we all just went out and walked around in the woods, you know, the, the, the maple trees are in full glory and, uh, and all of that, or, or listen to some sad guitar music, but, uh, you know, you've already signed in and we've got another 15 or 20 minutes, and uh, so, so here we are. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is a poem, uh, I haven't read this very often, so we'll see how it goes. It's called Checking the Messages, and and it comes, uh, the epigraph, and what started me into the poem was uh, this three lines from a poem by Franz Wright that go like this. God is love, they say, in human words. Yeah. So I started thinking about that, and, and the, the poem kind of turns that around in various ways as it goes on. Um, messages. One message reveals that the time is now. Another includes a batch of complex activities that somehow become wins and losses. I believe we must also consider pink roses and stovepipe. 
Love is words God says in human. One message is contained in all the ambitious, brilliant novels I've failed to read well into my sixth decade. Some nights the pattern on the rug is all the information I can stand. They say, love God, human, in words. One message I wrote on my hand in 1969, pages I was supposed to read for the next day in a book full of lies, half-truths, and misdirections, but also Ozymandias and the hollow men. Or did they say the words, love human, God? One message in the kerosene lantern we found in the garage when we moved in. 25 years later, I still think I'll clean it up and use it someday. I admire its patience and calm, how slowly it rusts. It has no interest in electricity. Like rock, it has learned to wait. Like water, it takes no pleasure in waiting. Like me, it wants to burn in the old way. Or words of love, soft and tender. Some days every message I open reminds me of Walden Pond or William Blake or Sweet Emily. Some days this comforts me. God words, they say, are human love. How safe I feel in this town, patient and modest as a cow, all its messages bland as milk, to wander through so many days warm, well-fed, and bearing no visible wounds, incredible. God is a human love word, they say. Left alone, I feed myself too much rush through my duties and spend hours in aimless self-indulgence. Vast rolls of internal commentary unreal and dissolve into oblivion, some quite eloquent for work improvised from such mundane material so far from another breathing, bleeding soul. God is a human word, love says. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Nick Lindsay, who is my mentor and friend and uh, someone I owe a great deal. He used to, used to go on these long rants. He would, he would go off for 10 or 15 minutes and then suddenly he'd sort of come to himself and he'd shrug and say, ah, or else it isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then, we'd, then we'd go on. Yeah, yeah. All right. Ah, yeah. So, so... Yeah, if we're thinking about defiance, you know, defiance is, of course, uh, as, as some of you folk from northwestern Ohio know, how many people know where defiance is in the crowd? I know some of you folks do. All right, many of you do. Uh, it's a little town not far from me, and uh, it, there was a fort there, and it was, there were, before that, there was a, a Native American settlement there, um, and I just have been thinking about and, and interested in the kind of multiple layers and levels of the place and of that, that word uh, as well. And I'll read you the poem in, in a little bit that, that's uh, about that. But uh, I want to read a couple of other things first. Um, yeah, one, one of the things that goes along with this, you know, attempting to circle around somewhere near uh, defiance, I think, is uh, has to do with... Uh, Choosing a tribe, yeah, and and to some extent that happens to us. You know, we're born into a particular situation and particular history and, and all of that. Uh, to some extent, also, it's it is something that we that we can choose. And uh, here's here's a poem that that kind of 
plays around with those questions and then uh, sort of goes off into something else, uh, into, into thinking back farther into uh, our history and our past. Uh, you know, we think back, if we, if we think we can trace our ancestry back, you know, three or four or five generations, we think that's really good. Uh, but somehow or other, all of our histories go back way, way farther than that, you know, thousands of years, ten thousands of years. Um, what, what were our ancestors doing, you know, 20,000 years ago? Yeah? They weren't sitting in a building like this, I'll tell you that. They, they did not have amplification and, uh, and PowerPoints. All right, so this is called interior archaeology. Uh, and, and it starts off with a, a photograph that I saw of a civilian public service camp during, during World War II um, and the people who were there. There's the old photograph of the CPS camp in the mountains, the barracks snow frosted, pines clutching the slope. The men must be inside around the stove arguing about Caesar or Jesus or out splitting wood or escaped on the daily freight that hauls coal through the eastern desert to the smoky cities. The men carry we will not kill like the mark of some un-American beast, marking them as weak and strong at once. Now I own so many books that they keep falling off the table right in the middle of the distant, inexcusable news. I've hardened my heart only a little, said that bastard Jeffers. What happened to the life I lived in the forest when I knew how to make snares and where to find the salt lick? We walked together then, happy or not. When we killed something big, everybody feasted, told stories, then made love all night. When we lost someone, we closed up the circle and kept going. How did we forget so much? This must be a real challenge for, for my, my noble companion here. I appreciate your good work. Uh, 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 So here's, here's a quote from William Stafford, and, the, and the, who was in one of these CPS camps in World War II. I talked about him last night, uh, some of those people who were there. And, and he talks about what, what sort of opposition uh, he thinks is, is required of, of those of us who don't find ourselves perfectly aligned with the, with the system uh, that we're embedded in. Uh, so in the world like the one we face, we are, in op we are an opposition, it has to be, Caught in a world's center of power, we scramble for put, footing, but we are a loyal opposition, for our concern happens to be people, and there are no enemies. Redemption comes with care in our culture. We can op oppose but not subvert. Openness is part of our technique. Uh, so that, that, I think, is, is an interesting uh, way of thinking about all of this. So, so, while I'm thinking about tribes, uh, I'll read you another poem. Uh, a particular tribe, one of the tribes I am part of, of course, is the tribe of faculty members. And, and one of the things that you end up doing uh, quite a bit if, if you're in that tribe is going to meetings. And I learned long ago that if I got out my notebook and wrote things down during meetings, people would assume that I was being serious and paying attention and uh, that I could write down whatever I wanted. Um, so this is notes from the faculty meeting. And these are all 
Yeah, this was written during an actual faculty meeting. I'm sure things are entirely different here, so, so don't take this. Yeah, this was a Bluffton faculty meeting, uh, not, not one of yours. After eight years of bounty, the cow is dried up. Behind the great man, the shield icon pulsed, patient as a heart. Like seeds, some ideas appear whole and undamaged, but will never sprout. Any form of motion draws the eye. So far, every page of this yellow pad is torn ragged. This troubles me more than it should. I vowed to hold my breath until I heard a concrete noun. Does things count? Students? Projections? My attempt at narrative, jumbled already, was interrupted by the need to applaud. The phrase, difficult challenge, was not followed by showers of gold. Forming a task force did not lead to pursue the great one. Most students believe they're more honest than most students. Think about that one. After a national search, we hired Randy's brother. That really did happen, although his name wasn't Randy, you know. And, and he was the best candidate for the job, you know. That's, that's, it's, it's astonishing how these things happen, how these things happen. Yeah. All right. So um, I'm going to read you maybe th three more poems or so. I think we have that much time. Um, I, I talked last night about uh, a guy named John Caputo, and... Uh, I want to read this poem I read last night, so if you, if you heard it last night, you'll get to hear it again. Uh, and uh, it, Caputo was a guy who uh, is a theologian, but a, a sort of renegade theologian whose uh, work is often uh, you know, sort of running contrary to things. So I, I read this great book of his, which is called The Weakness of God. And uh, it, it's all about, you know, the, the sort of tenuous ways in which God seems to act in the world. Yeah? So there's, there's a little epigraph at the beginning uh, from, from Caputo that goes like this. The weak force of God settles down below in the hidden interstices of being, the, the little cracks of being, insinuated into the obscure crevices. So the poem is called Meditation with Wallet, Eyeglasses, and Little Riley Creek. Which card is it that will open the steel door? I know that one card will take me anywhere, or almost, and another will tell the authorities that they should let me on the plane. The kingdom of God, says Caputo, is like a beautiful old poem whose author is completely unknown. My glasses have tiny rainbow sparkles on each lens, spreading as I scrape at them. The anti-scratch coating is separating, the office worker says sweetly. Sometimes that happens. Sorry they are not under warranty. Well, it's been two years, and I will have to ask the doctor, what if something has changed? The idea of one true religion, Caputo says, makes no more sense than the idea of one true poem. For the fourth day in a row, the brown roar of the creek bears tons of topsoil and effluvia toward the ocean. Is there one true creek? God is a weak force, says Caputo, a call, an event, a voice. All the rest is rouged and painted theology, the invention of men wishing to be strong. If I scrape the anti-scratch coating away entirely, will I see something new? 
If God is great but not strong, I take a deep breath, let it out. A wren in the pine tree, pecking at the new cones, visible only when it moves. It leaves a branch quaking as it disappears. So I'll read you the title poem, uh, which, which has uh, of, of this book, Somewhere Near Defiance. And the epigraph for this one is from uh, Naomi Shihab Nye, another of my favorite poets. And, and it goes like this. It's late, but everything comes next. Yeah, which is really another, you know, another form of, uh, you know, you got a big job, I guess. And, and so this poem talks about defiance and the history of it a little bit. It talks about a trip I made to, to Washington, D.C. a few years ago. Uh, it's got Walt Whitman in it. It's all, all good poems should have Walt Whitman in them. And uh, it's got some students in it. It kind of, kind of wanders around, but I, th- I think you'll get it. I live near Defiance, a white name pressed on an old place. Mad Anthony Wayne's soldiers broke down the orchards when the battle was theirs and built a fort where the Auglaise and Maumee rivers meet. Water will answer anything, the moon, the wind, the mud. The rivers mingle and move on. Once I drove my little car right into the heart of the empire, huddled with my friends to plot and complain. All over town, the poets and other malcontents were hiding in the open, vowing to split the rocks and terrify the despots. In our coffee house, we tallied our losses and wondered how to subvert the lyric eye until the hot waitress grabbed the mic to say that racism wasn't over yet. We clapped for her then wandered toward the capital, launched some ragged words to each other and the wind. All right, you can have shock, we told the adversary, but awe belongs to us. Walt Whitman thought his poems might stop the war. When they did not, he moved to Washington, took a day job so he could go to the field hospitals, read to the wounded, write letters for men with no arms or eyes. I have been hurt, but amending well. Do not weep, I will find you one day. I walked around for days, found no field hospitals, lots of monuments. I passed the suited and booted, the shaggy and lame, the proud and the weary, and it seemed that each of us carried a wound we were trying to hide. Meanwhile, the drone pilots turned their hellfires loose from dark rooms in the suburbs by a six-pack on the way home. 1,200 veterans of the last good war die each day, and the stools at the VFW stand like puzzled mushrooms. These days I wake up grateful that my heavy dreams are gone. I snag the zipper of my coat, pull it free, and walk off, puzzling over slides and words and stratagems. Then I step into a room and see a row of faces, hopeful and new as yellow apples hanging in the orchards of defiance. The morning came brilliant to my quiet town, sun and the junipers, a robin on the wire. Nothing that I do matters to the earth or the sky. But I've stalled around too long. It's time for declarations, time for floods, time to put down the Toledo blade and take a very long walk, time to say peace on terror, peace on drugs, peace on defiance. Peace on Mad Anthony and his soldiers, gone so quiet now, and the warriors they fought, and the fruit trees they tore. 
The auglaise and the maumee join and drift on, exchanging sticks and soil and bits of news. We are in the earth already and the earth in us. Even from defiance, nothing's more than half a world away. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, I had to leave this poem out. All right. Sorry. Just, just ignore that. All right. There's Caputo. Ignore that, too. All right. Here's, here's, there's, there's the last slide. Uh, all right. I've got one more poem that, that I want to read uh, to you, a short poem. And, and this is for Gordon Kaufman, who is an eminent Mennonite theologian, uh, came to Bluffton and, and had a chance for some conversation with him uh, a few years back not long before he died. And uh, yeah, there, there are a couple of quotes from him uh, in here. It's called No Path, and it's, it's got a lot of Bluffton nature in it. Kayak on the quarry, will you hug the shore, push straight across, waver or dawdle? No paths on the water. Almost November, and the poison ivy is still green. The soft trap of sky closes all around, an artful little spray of leaves near the shore, as though Martha Stewart were sitting in for God. Give up all that father stuff, said Gordon. Look where it's got us. And the warrior, even worse. The kayakers lift and dip their paddles, orange signals, this way for us. So much is offered, so much goes begging, and still what we need evades us or hides in plain sight. On the water, every way might be the right way. God might be the father and the warrior and the lost leaves, the water and the bleached trunk, motion and stone, lush twists of cloud and barking dog and wind, star upon star, alert and invisible in every direction. Low moan in the blood, circle and drift in the bright cells, shadowy hum and whir of electrons, fizz and buzz and shush, too small to name. No end, no opening, no tribe, no answer. Only this, kayak and paddlers, lift and dip, breath and muscle above the chill water, below the soft sky. Well, thank you very much. Thank you.